Love the sound of kids in a worship service. Love it. And I know they're leaving, but still. They're happier when they're leaving, I don't know. My name is Dale, and I'm part of the staff team here at Forest Grove Community Church. If you've been a part of Forest Grove Community Church for just a little while, and you've been coming here to the Attridge location, you might say, well, I've never seen you. And that's fair. I spend a lot of time at our Broadway congregation, uh, the majority of my time there. So uh, if I haven't met you yet, please come and say hi. And I've already met somebody this morning that I actually already met, but I was too dumb to remember. Has anybody experienced that before? Thank you. I like that enthusiasm back there. <clears throat> anyway, um, it's, it's good to be here. And uh, I want to continue our conversation about these letters that come from the Apostle Paul to Timothy. Uh, we're in a fairly long series talking about three letters, and we're into the second one. So the first one is to 1 Timothy, the second one, obviously, 2 Timothy. And then a little bit later, we're going to look at a letter that Paul writes to Titus, who's another leader in the church. So today we're going to look at um, a passage that is one that I knew, I memorized as a kid, and I'll tell you a little bit more about that in a minute. But this uh, is a day and age where sometimes we don't always have people doing their best, or sometimes we have bad workmanship. Am I right? Has anyone noticed? I heard a loud amen there. I don't know who said it. Um, Yeah, so uh, here's a pretty funny picture. I don't know if this is real. It seems like this would be really, really bad workmanship, you know, and maybe people fighting with each other. Two unions, I don't know. Uh, But these bridges don't line up, and they look a little confused, these poor guys. Um, So another one. This is a pretty common picture that I'm sure you've seen before. Uh, I think the caption is, it's not my job. So the line painting guys are not responsible to remove the dead things off of the road. They just paint right over them. It's a a possum. Uh, I used to live in Oregon. They said possums were nature's speed bumps, but whatever. Okay, this is another really interesting example of workmanship. Uh, Again, I don't know if it's real or if it's just fake, but you can see that the windows don't really line up. Um, I wouldn't be happy if I lived there. Actually, pray from the inside, it looks fine. Uh, Another one. Now, this one's a little bit tricky to be able to tell what the problem is (laughs) at first. (laughs) But, oops. It's possible that these are all just doctored pictures, but I think, I mean, they prove the point, so, you know, whatever. Um, Some of you have uh, maybe seen this cartoon. It's, uh, okay, it's not really my fault. I don't know if you can read the caption. It says, sure glad the hole isn't at our end. So there's, somebody isn't pulling their weight in the boat there. And probably we all saw some of these pictures from the Olympics uh, in Sochi. Anybody see this one? Yeah, it looks even more interesting when there's people in there with their skis. Workmanship. Um, The Bible actually talks about workmanship, believe it or not, and it talks about it in this passage we're going to look at today, but other places too. So um, I'd like to read this passage, um, 2 Timothy 2, 15 to 26. Why don't I just pause again for a moment and, and pray? 
Lord, we believe that um, the words in Scripture are very important for us to understand uh, your mind, your thoughts, your will, and your desire for us. And I pray that as we look at this passage um, from this letter that Paul sent to Timothy today, I pray that you would, uh, by your Holy Spirit, help us to see things that um, just really are things you want us to see, and maybe even see things that we haven't seen before. And I guess ultimately I pray that as we see these things and as we see you revealed in Scripture, that a result would be that we would respond appropriately to you uh, so that these things might impact our lives. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to read through the passage. Uh, it's 2 Timothy 2, 15 to 26. Um, you can read along if you'd like or on the screen or just shut your eyes and listen or eat, uh, whatever you would like. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, and who correctly handles the word of truth. Avoid godless chatter because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. Their teaching will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have departed from the truth. They say that the resurrection has already taken place and they destroy the faith of some. Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, sealed with this inscription. The Lord knows who are his, and everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. In a large house, there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for special purposes and some for common use. Those who cleanse themselves from the latter will be instruments for the special purposes, made holy, useful to the master, and prepared to do any good work. Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels. The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach and not resentful. Opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth, that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. Paul, Timothy's mentor, is giving some very good instruction. It's helpful for Timothy, I think. But I think it's also helpful for us. I suggest to you that Paul is describing what an approved worker looks like, especially to this young pastor. Um, So today I want to talk about characteristics of an approved worker. I think we can see at least five things in this passage that characterize the approved worker. However, we need to see that none of these things actually result in approval from God. Timothy is already approved by God because of the work of Jesus. He stands before the creator of the universe as a holy creation because of the sanctifying and saving work of Christ. The point of this word approval 
It's not that Timothy earns the approval, but rather that he is already approved, and so how he lives demonstrates that approval. When I was uh, in school, I've been in school quite a few times in my life. Some say that's a good thing, some say not, some say not. But a few years ago, okay, 10 or 15 years ago, I was in school, and I had a professor who was particularly... um, uh, significant for me. Uh, ended up being a good friend as well as, I think, a really good teacher. But he had an interesting approach to grading. He would start the class by looking out at everyone and saying, okay, everyone gets an A. <laughs> and people would look at him, really? <laughs> and he said, now go earn it. Now, it, this isn't exactly that, but it's kind of a similar picture. Um, Everyone who is in Christ is approved. Now, go show that you're approved. Demonstrate it. Do your best to show that you're approved. Why? Because it's actually a reflection on God, who has already approved you. Um, I want to talk at these, about these five characteristics of an approved worker. So, the first one. And the first two come out of verse 15, but the first one is an approved worker does his or her best. Approved worker does his or her best. This is a theme in scripture, and it's not just related to Timothy's role as a pastor and a teacher, but I believe it's actually related to everyone who works, to all workers. There are other examples in the Bible about workers, and here are a few of them. Colossians 3.17 says, Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And later in Colossians 3, it says, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. Ecclesiastes, Old Testament book, in chapter 9 says, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. Or the New Living Translation says, whatever you do, do it well. Proverbs 13 says, the soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. And 1 Corinthians 10 says, so whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. I think the teaching about doing your best here is not just for religious workers or pastors. It's for everyone. Our identity in Christ involves calling, a vocation. We are called to engage with creation, with what God has made that includes other people, toward the embodiment of peace, joy, and righteousness. As those created in the image of God, our vocation is to develop care for and love creation as God so loved the world. And to renew and restore and reclaim an alienated and growing and broken creation, including humanity, into right relationship with God. Every human being has multiple relationships into which we are called. We are called to embody the mission of God in family relations, social relations, communal and even political relations relations. All of these are vocations, as we are called to pursue the mission of God as family members, fathers, mothers, brothers, sisters, as workers, whether 
machinists, educators, lawyers, or pastors. We as participants in community choose particular kinds of vocations or careers, but they all matter to God. Followers of Jesus can choose these careers or vocation as a means, as a way to love God and love neighbor. We choose these careers as a means by which we participate in the kingdom of God in order to pursue the mission of God through these vocations. Followers of Jesus can participate in mission by how they do their work. For example, medical professionals participate in the healing work of God. Financial counselors participate in reconciling justice for creditors and mercy for debtors. Legal professionals partner with God in pursuing justice. Environmental professionals partner with God in preserving and caring for creation, and the list can go on and on. Partnering with God for the fulfillment of the mission of God is ministry in the kingdom of God. That's work. Next time you go to work, think of yourself as a missionary, not just by what you do in spite of your work, but by what you do to show yourself an approved worker, one who's approved by God. Now, this gets very personal very fast. If vocations are missional, then that means how you do your work tomorrow matters. How I do my work tomorrow matters. If you're a student, it means the diligence with which you do your homework matters. Now that's maybe just bugging you too much, right? Like it's one thing to say do a good job if you're a carpenter, but a student? Really? Yes. Um, I've spent quite a few years as a teacher And I have to say that I have not always seen students' best work. Part of it is because they think I'm the only one that sees it. What would happen if we thought that God sees it? And that doing our best actually shows the relationship we have with God. This is a theology of vocation. There's no one in this room who doesn't have a job that isn't very important to God, that doesn't matter to God. We all have jobs that matter to God. It's a theology of vocation. And it's not minimalist. Have you ever heard somebody say, well, how much do you actually have to, how much training do you have to have to do that job? Because I only want to do the minimum. That's not doing your best. Doing your best says, how can I learn more? How can I do better? How can I grow more? Whether I'm a carpenter bricklayer, a lawyer, doctor, or a pastor. This is a really important word for all of us that comes to Timothy through the Apostle Paul. Second thing we might see in this passage, it's also in verse 15. An approved worker handles the word of truth well. An approved worker handles the word of truth well. In uh, the King James, it says... Rightly dividing the word of truth. 
Now, that's important to me because when I was a kid, I went to camp and I learned a song. And those of you who are, I was going to say over and then I was going to say an age, but I won't because I, I did that earlier and somebody confessed and immediately recanted their confession because they didn't want to be that old. <clears throat> but it went like this. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. You are all too ashamed to sing with me, aren't you? <laughs> Peter, are you singing? Rightly dividing the word of truth. Beautiful. You know, see, all the old people can sing. Tell you what. Um, and if we did it right, we would do it in a round. So we'd have beautiful harmony in the room. We won't, don't worry. Um, this, this verse was important to me because, well, it's a really good way to remember scripture, to learn it in a song. And it sticks with you. When I'm um, 82, no, I won't say that. <laughs> My dad's 82 right now. I was going to say when I'm 82 and I can't remember stuff that happened yesterday, I'll remember that song. But my dad actually remembers everything that happened yesterday, so I won't talk about that. Rightly dividing the word of truth. There's this idea in the passage of cutting with straightness and care, handling the Bible. So imagine the Apostle Paul. Remember what his day job was? The Apostle Paul had a job beyond being a ministry guy, and his job was to make tents. So some people think that when he talks about how you cut the word carefully, rightly dividing, studying the Bible carefully, he's actually using a metaphor from his tent-making work, where he, you have to cut stuff straight. I can't imagine putting a tent together if you didn't cut the pieces of fabric straight. You had big holes everywhere, and they wouldn't hook together right, and they'd fall apart and get soaking wet in the rain. I've been in tents like that. Um, so this is an important part of the teaching, that... Those who handle the scripture need to handle it in a way that is right or straight. So what is the word of truth? It says that's what you're supposed to handle. I think we can assume that this applies at least to the known scriptures of the day, including the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, and increasingly to the teaching of the apostles and the words of Jesus. So handling these words, this word, in an appropriate way means careful study and preparation. Now, of course, this is especially important for Timothy because this is one of his vocations, is to teach. But thinking about the word, I think it's important to remember that Jesus also claims to be both word and truth. He says, I am the word. He says, I am the way. He says, I am the truth and the life. So not only is being faithful to Scripture in a straight way important about the Bible, it's actually important about how we represent the person of Jesus. How we represent Christ. We can assume that the teaching about the word of truth includes faithful representation of the gospel as personified in Jesus. This letter is written to a pastor, but I think it's fair to say that any of us who work with scripture, the word of truth, that it must be done with great care. So that applies to all of us if we claim to be followers of Jesus. We have the privilege of being able to each have a copy of the scripture mostly in the form of a book, but we also have it in other, phone, in other forms like our phones and other technologies, books or technologies. We have scripture everywhere. So that means all of us who follow Jesus have the responsibility to handle the word carefully. Careful reading of scripture will also help us keep our focus on the central doctrines of faith. And Paul warns us that a couple of false teachers in the church, who I won't try to pronounce again, 
Uh, says, he says their teaching will spread like gangrene. Correctly handling the scripture is not just for pastors, but for all of us who are followers of Jesus. Let's say that again. Correctly handling the scripture is not just for pastors. It, it certainly is for pastors. But it's for all of us who claim to be followers of Jesus. The third thing about an approved worker. An approved worker is able to discern between the sacred and the common. Here's what it says in verses 20 20 and 21. In a large house, there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for special purposes and some for common use. Those who cleanse themselves from the latter will be instruments for special purposes, made holy, useful to the master, and prepared to do any good work. So the teaching about the sacred and the common is interesting here. This teaching shows up in other places in the writings of Paul, but it also shows up at other places in the Bible. 1 Corinthians 3 says, If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it's burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though as one escaping through the flames. I don't think this is a teaching that everything we build should be built with gold. No, there are lots of materials, good materials. Rather, I think it is necessary to know which materials are right to use in a specific situation. Apostle Paul says regarding the different materials, some are for special purposes and some for common use. It's up to the follower of Jesus and especially to the church leader to discern which materials are to be used in which place. Not every material or article is right for every job. Um, We were talking about this as staff this week and I kind of, I thought about, you know, what if you used gold to build the foundation for a building. It would be a bad foundation and very expensive and probably wouldn't work that well, at least in in my limited knowledge of building. I think this follows the teaching in the Hebrew Scripture that followers of Yahweh, God of the Old Testament, are to carefully discern between the sacred and the profane, or the holy and the common. In Leviticus 10, we see this in context of how Aaron, who's the high priest of Israel, And his sons are to approach their priestly work. It says this. This is a lasting ordinance for the generations to come, so that you can distinguish between the holy and the common, between the unclean and the clean, so that you can teach the Israelites all the decrees the Lord has given them through Moses. And in Ezra, in Ezekiel 22, I'm sorry. The priests, it says, Israel's priests do violence to my law and profane my holy things. They do not distinguish between the holy and the common. They teach there is no difference between clean and unclean, and they shut their eyes to the keeping of my Sabbath so that I am profaned among them. And then in chapter 44, they are to teach my people the difference between the holy and the common and to show them how to distinguish between the unclean and the clean. The emphasis here isn't just that some things are holy or sacred and some things are common or profane but that followers of Jesus are actually able to tell the difference, to distinguish between the two. 
The example of the Sabbath is to help understand that all things are appropriate or things that are appropriate for six days might not be appropriate on the seventh. I think this principle continues in the New Testament, the teaching of Paul, but is more now related to issues related to doctrine and community of faith. I think an important thing about this is that the church today needs gifts of discernment. We need to be able to tell when the common has invaded the sacred. Now, if this sounds like, what? What are you talking about? That doesn't make any sense to me. That probably kind of proves my point. I don't think we think very much about the sacred and the common anymore. When I was a kid, um, there was more distinction. So, for example, the place where the church gathered was called the house of God. And they told us you weren't supposed to do certain things there, like running. As a child, if you ran in church, somebody would probably grab you by the ear. Could be anybody. Well, probably an adult. (laughs) Probably not another child. But they'd grab you by the ear and they'd say, why are you running in church? Don't run in church. Now, I think we've gotten past that. And we say, well, that's not exactly what this is talking about. But my question is, have we lost all sense of distinction between the holy and the common? Not the good and the bad. There are lots of things that are good that don't belong in places of the holy. Now, if you think this is just an Old Testament teaching, uh, we were talking about this actually in the lifetime class right before we came here, and I thought of something related to this. In Hebrews 12, it says, Therefore, worship with reverence and awe, because our God is a consuming fire. Now, doesn't that sound like there's something important about how we worship and that if we don't do it in the right way, we're actually in danger? Because that's what it says. And what that tells me is we have to have really good, developed gifts of discernment in the church. Like work, all things we do can be done to the glory of God. All things we do. But not all things are right to do in the places of the holy. I feel like we could talk about that for a lot longer, but we won't. We'll move on. Uh, The fourth thing. An approved worker is spiritually mature. Verses 22 to 24 says this. Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. There are many desires of youth that could be considered evil. And I think a lot of times when you read this, you think, oh yeah, those evil desires I had when I was young. But my experience is a lot of the evil desires I had when I was young actually are just as much of a temptation today. They don't change as you get older. And so as I look at this and I think about what Paul might be getting at, um, I wonder if the things of youth that we're supposed to flee from are things of immaturity. Immaturity includes selfishness. 
All infants are selfish. Faithlessness. That's related to self-centeredness too. Stupid arguments. Things like this. Maturity, and especially spiritual maturity, on the other hand, is giving up of self. Giving up of rights. Paul says that the mature follower of Jesus, the one who has fleed from desires of youth, is the one who pursues righteousness, faith, love, and peace. The mature follower of Jesus does not get involved in stupid arguments, the kind that children have, immaturity. But but the mature follower of Jesus must be kind, not resentful. And in this case, the pastor, Timothy, must also be able to teach. So I think fleeing from the evil desires of youth is a teaching about growing up spiritually, about becoming spiritually mature. That's a hallmark of the follower of Jesus. Because Jesus, who is in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to hang on to, but emptied himself. That's what he expects of us. Finally, an approved worker always pursues restoration. Uh, Restoration of relationships, especially. Verses 25 and 26 say, Opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth, and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. For followers of Christ, there is no place for vindictiveness. It's not just a teaching for pastors or leaders, but for everyone. Restoration is about the horizontal and the vertical. We talked about it earlier when we were celebrating communion together. Horizontal restoration means reconciliation between people. Vertical reconciliation is about being in right relationship with God. I think the hope of this teaching that Paul gives here is that God grants repentance, knowledge of the truth. That's good. That's not vindictive. The horizontal is about the gentle instruction that comes from a leader who's committed to restoring right relationships. I think it's always appropriate to strive for right relationships, to strive for restoration. This is in contrast to society that we live in and often a church that we live in, maybe not our church, but maybe, where vindictiveness is more common. It's good to remind ourselves of the words in Romans 5.8. says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Follower of Jesus is always about restoration. So a few points of application. Uh, You can write them on your sermon note if you want, or or just listen, or um, whatever. I think it's appropriate to ask the question of ourselves, how are we doing as approved workers? How are we doing? If you look at the five things that we talked about, we could make this question more specific. So I'm going to ask these questions with you in the, wor- in the question, but of course, they could just as easily be addressed to me, to us. First question, how are you doing with your work? Are you doing your best to show yourself approved before God? Are you doing 
with your work, whatever it is, to the glory of God? If not, how can that change in our lives? Second question, how are you handling the word of truth, the Bible? Are you regularly reading the Bible? Research tells us that we followers of Jesus actually don't read the Bible very much. Pretty hard to handle it correctly if we don't read it. It's a good challenge. Are you seeking God for ways the Bible can dwell in you? That scripture can live in you? Prerequisite to handling the word of truth well is that followers of Jesus are immersed and steeped in it. What might we be able to do to increase the presence of Scripture in our lives? Third question, are you able to discern between the sacred and the common? And then strive to keep each of them in the place where they belong? Who are those with gifts of discernment in our body who can help us see what's right in this situation, what's not right in this situation? Who are those people? Fourth question. Do you see yourself as growing past immaturity and toward maturity? Fleeing evil desires of youth like selfishness, getting your own way, useless arguments? We are all tempted to a self-focus. It's, it's normal. How can we strive to grow to maturity as we are transformed the person of Jesus? And fifth question. Are you committed to restoration when there are problems or even sin? Are you willing to commit to restoring right relationships on the horizontal with fellow believers and the vertical with God? This is something we have to do daily. We don't just do it once. How can we see more evidence of this in our community of faith, Forest Grove Community Church? Um, Worship team, why don't you guys come on? back up. You and I are already approved followers of Jesus. We're already approved. Paul exhorts Timothy and us to show ourselves approved, to demonstrate that we're approved. We are the display people, God's display people in the world. God's work and presence needs to be there through us. This last slide is a a picture Um, It's a carving, carving of a leaf. Just so happens that a friend of mine carved this. His name is Grant. And Grant uh, is a very, very good workman. Uh, He does amazing woodworking and beautiful, beautiful carving. Um, And I, I thought I'd show it to you because to me, his carving, his doing his best on this piece of wood is just as important just as important an act of showing that he is an approved worker as anything that you do that you might think is spiritual, like preaching. The other thing that's interesting is the words. So the word corum deo there is Latin, and it kind of means that we live life in the presence of God. And so that's the other side of this, is to say, um, not only do we live life in the presence of each other, and so we have to be careful that we don't do things that would discredit God before each other. We actually live life in the presence of God. And that means anything that we do can either bring him glory or bring him discredit. 
anything we do. Uh, so we're going to sing about following him. And I think the big deal about following Jesus is exactly this teaching, that we live life under the presence of Jesus, that we live life under the presence of God. Um, I'm going to just pray for a moment. Lord, thanks for this word, this teaching. Thank you for Paul, who we don't know, but we learn so much through his writing. And we thank you that you've worked uh, to inspire him to write words that we can learn from. I pray for our community of faith. I pray for each of us here today, including myself, that you would give us um, the determination and the sense of awareness that we are approved workers, that you have approved us. And because of that, that we need to do our best to show that we're approved workers, approved by you. I pray that for each of us here today. And I pray that the result of that would be that your name would be glorified. Um, That you would be uh, made of renown. That people might even say, you know, those followers of Jesus, they do good work. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.